You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 777 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday morning. And today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Most of today's episode will be a crossover discussion that I had with Evan Damerall of Locked On Cavs and Matt Peck of Locked On Bulls. Uh, continuing our sort of a Delete 8 mock draft series, this is uh, volume 2 of that, where uh, this time around, spoiler alert, I actually have the number 1 pick as the Hawks, so that'll be interesting to uh, get into that for the second half of the podcast. There is one bit of news, though, that I want to start off the podcast with, and that is the announcement earlier in the week that State Farm Arena is now officially a polling place for Fulton County. Uh, Fulton County is partnering with the Hawks to create Georgia's largest ever voting voting precinct at State Farm Arena, beginning with early voting on July 20th for the Georgia general primary runoff election on August 11th. Um, this was apparently Steve Coonan's idea first. Uh, he pitched that to the Fulton County Commissioner um, Rob Pitts earlier in June. Obviously, Lloyd Pierce is heavily involved in this as well, including some of the first public statements that were made about this. Lloyd, uh, you may remember, probably have seen the video of uh, at a protest earlier in June, Lloyd talking about this this potential, and he seemed to be pretty excited about that. Also expanded on that in talking to Zach Lowe on his podcast earlier in the month. Um, but uh, as part of the announcement, Lloyd uh, Lloyd also conveyed that he planned to discuss what the Hawks were doing with Fulton County partnership, um, basically telling the other 29 teams in the league about what the Hawks are doing and hoping that other teams, other franchises will follow will follow similar traje- trajectories here with the Hawks. Uh, as a note here, hundreds of the Hawks and State Farm Arena full-time and part-time employees will be trained to serve as election workers and support for operations of this polling precinct. And also just the fact that it's a huge venue, obviously, being that a uh, full-size arena, that's going to allow for effective social distancing during this time, which is uh, also very important to keep in mind. And uh, they're offering free parking for individuals coming to vote uh, with more than 1,500 spots available. Also, Marta, Marta CEO Jeff Parker announced that uh, they've approved the reopening of the uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, State Farm Arena, uh, War Congress Center, CNN Center stop right there in front of the arena. That's very helpful as well. Tony Ressler released a statement I'll read to you now. Ressler said the following. Quote, when our ownership group purchased the Hawks State Farm Arena five years ago, we were clear that we felt it was our responsibility to make sure the organization was an important civic asset to the city of Atlanta. Utilizing State Farm Arena and our incredible staff to make the arena an accessible and vital polling site is an, in an important election year is a fulfillment on that promise, end quote. So obviously this is something, something we've been hearing about for a few weeks now, but still a very, very cool thing that the Hawks are doing here. And if you probably saw a little bit of this reaction publicly, but around the NBA, around the whole sports world, people were uh, sort of giving the Hawks their applause that I think they, they actually have earned in this time around. Like Patrick Mahomes, for instance, was uh, quote-tweeting the Hawks, talking about uh, how uh, basically just giving them some affirmation there. So lots of positive reaction to this, and I would certainly echo that. I think the Hawks have done a very, very, very good job on this. Uh, Lloyd Pierce, Steve Coonan, Tony Russell, everybody's done a very good job here, and I want to make sure that we touched on that. Um, nothing else really in terms of what I wanted to say about it. It's just that this is a very good initiative for the Hawks to do, uh, especially when they're not using the arena in the way they normally would be. It's a great spot. Um, it's obviously a prominent location that people, people will know how to get to and they can get a lot of people, um, 
sort of in the door and out the door when it comes to voting. And that's a very, very important thing in this time. So there you go on that. Um, other than that, no other basketball news that I am aware of in Hawksland between the last time we had to do the podcast. And now I do want to go ahead and plug the last couple of podcasts. We had Sam Vecini of The Athletic on the show last week to talk about his prospect rankings and also basically Atlanta's young core. A lot of fun discussions about that. And Sam's always great. And then the last two podcasts have been myself and Zach Hood of Peachtree Hoops doing a basically a two-part breakdown of all the big men available in the 2020 NBA draft. Before that, Zach and I touched on these sort of combo forwards, but the big men went even a little bit deeper on those with a two-part episode. So you missed all that. Go back and listen to it. I hope you guys enjoy that podcast. And again, always subscribe to the show. Okay, before we get to my conversation with Evan and Matt, a word from our sponsor on today's program. And with the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's impossible to stock all the car and truck parts you need in a traditional storefront. Why would you endure often pointless and seemingly intimidating questioning and wait forever while the counter person orders the parts on his computer only choosing the brand that his warehouse happens to carry. Instead, you have access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket, it's a much, much better option. Whether for your classic car or your daily driver, rockauto.com has everything you need in just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Chain stores often have different price tiers for pro mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, but at rockauto.com, prices are the same for everybody and they are they are always the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will allow. The rockauto.com catalog is also very easy to navigate. You can, you can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, the specs, and the prices that you prefer. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or an account login. Best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are always reliably low and the same for pros and do-it-yourselfers, so why would you spend up to, up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so that they, that they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, RockAuto.com. And without any more ado, here's my conversation with Evan Damerall and Matt Peck on the Delete 8 Mock Draft. Hello, everybody. My name is Brad Rowland. I'm the host of the Locked on Hawks podcast, and we're back with another crossover Delete 8 Mock Draft. This is Volume 2, I suppose, and I'm joined today by Evan Damerall of Locked on Cavs and Matt Peck of Locked on Bulls. Gentlemen, thanks for being here today. No, no, thanks Happy for Happy to be me. here. So basically, if you missed the first edition of this, which which actually was all in sort of different groups, uh, we're basically chopping up the uh, the eight of us into different mini shows and then putting it all together. If you'd like to follow along, uh, this time around, the three of us have the top three picks in the draft. I actually, as the Hawks, had the number one overall pick, and then from there we get to Chicago with number two and Cleveland with number three. Before we dive into the picks themselves, uh, and you guys, I'm sure, have shared this information in other places, but I'm wondering for my own uh, for my own sake here. You know, I guess we'll start with Evan. How do you guys feel about this draft? Obviously, it's a lot's been said about how uh, not spectacular it is at this point in time. But given that we are we are drafting at the top of this class and get sort of the uh, the picks that are, I guess, the mo- the most optimal. How are you all feeling about um, the pos- the possibility of getting these uh, top three picks? Yeah, like you said, it's suboptimal. I mean, especially in Cleveland's position because this is such a guard-heavy draft class, especially in the top. And then, Brad, we've talked about this before when you came on Locked on Cavs with Chris and I, but um, just the fact that a lot of these top picks that are favored to go high in this year's draft class have so many lumps, um, they don't really fit into what Cleveland's trying to build. So ideally, I would prefer for the Cavs pick to fall maybe into the the five or six range based on their lottery odds right now. But... 
Um, yeah, no, that's just kind of how I feel about the draft in general. But, I mean, I'll take the best talent available because, again, Cleveland's also a team that's star for talent, so I can't be too, too particular about who they do and don't take. Yeah, Jordan, my co-host, and I weren't thrilled um, with the way that this uh, mock draft 2.0 shook out. Um, this draft class in particular is a little underwhelming. Um, as far as the the Bulls team needs, like, Clearly, you know, after Otto Porter Jr. you know picks up a twenty-eight million dollar option as a lame duck veteran, the Bulls still have no long-term solutions at the wing right now. There are some like lottery-level wings, but none of them were real like top-tier. Most of like the top five in in this particular draft are bigs or uh, or guards. So, um, you know, we didn't feel great about being number two. The only thing that we felt good about at number two was a a chance that maybe Atlanta would pass up on LaMelo because y'all have Trey Young already. And then B, just not being at number seven because Bulls fans are sick of being at number seven. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally uh, I totally understand that. That's uh, I guess uh, every franchise has that one cursed spot. And uh, I guess that's probably where the Bulls are at this point with seven. And, you know, the Hawks, uh, I'll speak for the Hawks now. It's last year they got very unlucky in the lottery. So to in this particular uh Edition of this mock draft setting, uh, getting very lucky, I guess, is is a good thing. But at the same time, this is not a great draft, in my opinion, to have the number one pick in. Obviously, you know, from an asset perspective, you still want to have the number one pick, I guess, if all things are equal, because you could trade it or whatever happens. But in this setting, you know, I, I did try to explore some trades, but one of those things where it's not you know <laughs> true to life all the way through. So it was it was like I could just be on the phone for three months talking about trades and the way that uh, some That's... of this stuff could work. We, we we had a we had a couple negotiations on the table, but uh, Chris isn't here, so I can kind of slander his name a little bit. But he's editing, so hopefully he's kind to me. Um, <laughs> we had some trades on the table, but Chris got some serious cold feet because we're, we're pretty enamored with Kevin Porter locked on Cavs, and once you kind of threw his name out there, and then the counter offer you had with the pick protections, Chris is just like, I don't really want to get hosed if I was the Cavs long term. I'm like, okay, well, if you're not comfortable. Back yeah, out. it's uh, it's risky to do a trade like this, and uh, you know, I've stated on my podcast repeatedly that if the Hawks won the lottery, I would sort of put the the for sale sign out immediately. Um, and I kind of oh, did that in, in our in our in our group chat. I kind of I kind of did that in our email chain with everybody. Uh, just said, all right, the picks available, but you know, practically, uh, not as easy to do that in that short period of time. But I I certainly would put the pick up for sale if I was the Hawks. I guess I can go ahead and announce the pick that I made, uh, and that is that I, I chose to take LaMelo Ball. It was not a an easy decision, I will say, for the Hawks. I do have Ball as my number one guy overall um, on a on a big board setting, um, pretty clearly. But as uh, you know, as we as we sort of alluded to earlier, the Hawks, of course, have a point guard already. Um, I do think that it can work with Trey Young and LaMelo Ball because LaMelo is legit 6'6", 6'7". Trey Young's a great shooter, etc. But even I, as an optimist with that pairing, would acknowledge that it's not perfect by any means. Uh, at the end of the day, though, I'm not enamored with with Anthony Edwards or any of the other options. And as a result of that, I just you know stuck to my board, essentially. I took the best player available with LaMelo, uh, knowing full well that it could come back to bite me. But again, I'm on record as saying the Hawks should at least try to explore the market if they get the number one pick. But I just couldn't take anybody but LaMelo Ball. Um, now I have to open it up for you guys to roast me because it is, it is somewhat controversial, <laughs> I suppose. I, I mean, I, it, it is controversial in one way, and, and in one other way, it's very much not. I think a lot of people now, you know, people talk about Weissman and people talk about Edwards, but I feel like LaMelo has gotten a lot of steam to be like, you know what? 
in, in, in such an underwhelming draft class, why not swing for the fences with a talent like that? And people are already talking about him perhaps surpassing the, the ceiling that Lonzo can reach, even though that Lonzo looks to be in a better situation now that he's moved on to New Orleans after his stint with the Lakers. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think it's entirely crazy. I like I, If the Bulls were in a position to draft LaMelo, I would have my reservations. Mostly those reservations have to deal with LeVar Ball, but that's just my own personal issue. Uh, no, I don't think you're crazy for that. I don't think I really want to roast you on this one because clearly by and far, at least based on what mock drafts are saying and based on what I'm kind of gathering from, well, at least from the Cavs perspective, they do the Cleveland themselves use LaMelo Ball as the top prospect in this draft class. And they have done their due diligence on the LeVar front and the fact that his coaches at Spire and his coaches in Australia um, when he was with the Hawks, um, they kind of said that LeVar is really hands-off and just not as involved and as much of a helicopter parent. So maybe that concern is a little bit thrown out the window at this point. But, you know, you still have to do your due diligence because LeVar still <clears throat> gets a platform on TV on Fox Sports for some reason one way or another. But I I can understand why you just go with best player available, especially in a draft class like this. But you could also say, like, LaMelo, if he does, like play up to Lonzo's potential, at least on the defensive side of the ball. Like he could pair nicely alongside Trey as like a two guard option and just, you know, kinda cover a lot of Trey's defenses defensive issues. And the fact that you have two stellar, two outstanding playmakers in Trey and Lamello in your backcourt, like that's a really great foundation to have if you're in Atlanta's position. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And like not to say that Trey isn't also a, a solid passer and playmaker because he's certainly shown those abilities oh, for yeah. the first two years. But LaMelo is like that is his bread and butter. That is his greatest strength is his court vision and his playmaking ability. And LaMelo's weakness right now is his outside shot. So assuming that he can build upon that, it might be a really solid pairing because Trey can shoot the lights out and LaMelo mm-hmm. is such a gifted passer. They would actually work pretty well together. Yeah, I, I do think that. It can work, like I said before. You know, Lamelo's size makes it a lot easier to pair those two together. It's not like you're drafting another small point guard. Um, that wouldn't be ideal, I don't think. But because Lamelo is, uh, you know, basically shooting guard size, essentially, um, those guys can play together. Trey's Trey's shooting. I do think Lamelo's going to be able to play defense. Um, he's not. He was not great necessarily at lower levels, but because he he is smart as a uh, sort of guy who feels the game well. He's very long and active when he wants to be. I think that can work as well. And the Hawks are in the market for uh, for another ball handler. Um, you know, I think ideally there's probably better fits out there, but they want to have someone who can run the offense when Trey's on the bench and also sort of be that that legitimate secondary ball handler when Trey is on the court. So um, at the end of the day, it's not perfect, but I do think that LaMelo is, my, is the best prospect in the draft. Um, it's not a great draft to be number one overall, especially as the Hawks. And uh, I know the Cavs have the same problem where there's a lot of lead guards in this class and mm-hmm. the Hawks don't want a lead guard. Um, granted, uh, the, at least the Hawks have uh, sort of, they're sort of sold on their lead guard in a way the Cavs I don't think are <laughs> at this point, but I'll, let, uh, I'll, I'll let ever get into that later. But yeah, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, taking, I'm, taking, I'm taking my best guy, um, even if, I would be a little bit more worried sort of in practical real life that the Hawks might not want to do this. I just, for me, I'm sticking to my board. No, I think that's, I, I mean, it's th- absolutely I think that's fair. rational. I think it's rational. Yeah. Best player available is usually the, usually the way to go. Honestly, if you start drafting with drafting for fit at the very, very top of the draft, you can get yourself in some binds. So that is my rationale. And uh, we can go on from there. I, I would say again, I, I would try to trade it, but alas, LaMelo ball. Welcome to the Atlanta Hawks in this fake exercise. <laughs> Um, <laughs> all right, Chicago's on the clock. Now LaMelo's gone. Uh, where are we headed for the, where are we headed for the Bulls? 
Right. So speaking of drafting for need versus drafting best available, especially this high up in the lottery, uh, that was essentially what my co-host Jordan Malley and I were debating. Um, and what we ended up with was taking best available and also best ceiling. Uh, because I had mentioned earlier on the Bulls' desperate need for a long-term solution at the wing. Um, so that had us looking really closely at Auburn's Isaac Okoro. I really like that kid. I, th- I think he was one of the best, if not the best, defenders in college basketball that we saw this past season. Um, and he is th- that perfect prototype of modern NBA being able to guard. I think he can guard one through four in the NBA with his size and his skill set. Uh, he- he's not bad creating his own opportunities off the dribble. He's also pretty decent attack in the basket. Only a 29% three-point shooter uh, at Auburn. So, you're, you know, you're optimistic that he can, you know, build out on that range a little bit and stretch the floor. But it was so tempting to take him because the Bulls just have no answers at the wing right now. But because Anthony Edwards just appears to be that potential special talent in this draft, especially offensively, and the fact that this rebuilding Bulls roster that's going nowhere right now, you know, you could say maybe if you were on a, a team with more wins, Zach Levine had a, a, a quasi all-star season just now. Uh, the other pieces of this rebuild, you know, Kobe White flashed at times as a rookie. Markinen and Wendell both regressed, both battle injuries. We felt like we couldn't pass up the high ceiling swing for the fences pick in Edwards, even though the Bulls' backcourt is already a little bit crowded with some of these rebuilding pieces. I guess my question for you is, is Chris and I have gone back and forth on this a lot on Locked on Cavs. We actually did a, a quote-unquote draft where we picked like the out of the delete eight teams, the teams that had the best potential future. And I went, with, I went with Chicago just based on the fact that I really like the young pieces that the Bulls have assembled. I just think the coach that you guys have in place isn't the right tactician to guide these players into the right positions you know, to help them grow for culture. How dare you culture. besmirch the epic Jim Boylan and all of his greatness? <laughs> Uh, my apologies. In case I didn't. The sarcasm wasn't clear. That no, was a heavy it. dose of sarcasm. I I appreciate I appreciate your wit. Trust me, but it's just I feel like a lot of like like a lot of what Chicago's assembled. Like I really like Wendell Carter. I really like Zach Levine. I really like Kobe White. I like um Laurie Markkinen. I like a lot of the. I mean, even Archie Diakono, who you know is. It's debatable on what kind of player he is. But like, he's a solid backup. He's the second bench coming guard, of Kirk Heinrich, obviously. That's where he go. is. There you go. There you go. I, lo- I love the optimism here. This is what I don't get on Locked On Cavs. So having someone bringing optimism is refreshing at times. Love you, Chris. But so that's just like my biggest thing. And I, I totally get the Okora thing because I feel like if you put the. I draw comparisons to when the 49ers hired Harbaugh as their head coach. And I mean, Alex Smith was an okay quarterback, but Harbaugh kind of whispered into him and both Kaepernick and turned them into a Super Bowl contender. But the 49ers had so much talent available that I feel like at this point, the Bulls have the luxury of maybe drafting a little bit more for fit. And I think Okora was a great pickup in that regard. Just, I like, I, I, I too am a big fan of him. It's just like, maybe I have a little bit of concerns about his shooting ability, but that's okay. I mean, you have plenty of shooters that go around in Chicago. Maybe you need a little bit of more defensive stoppers instead. Yeah. And, and, you know, so Jordan and I put ourselves in the shoes of the Bulls front office here as a Bulls fan, wondering about what they might do in this upcoming draft. It's very curious because we have this new front office coming in. You know, we brought in AK from Denver. We brought in Eversley uh, from Philly. And so now we're, we're kind of wondering ourselves what what they're going to look for are and are they going to go best available or are they going to go for need and say okay clearly Otto's out of here after this year we love 
this young talented wing who could be a versatile multi you know multi uh, positional defensive player for us let's go with that because we've got these other talented pieces at these other spots um or would they just say you know what regardless of fit let's take the best talented player that we think is on the board and then figure out the chemistry of which pieces stay and which pieces go later on yeah, I'm, I mean, it's just in general, this is a tough spot for the Bulls, which I think we all kind of could acknowledge, uh, especially with Melo yeah, off the board. Absolutely. Um, I think that Edwards is perfectly reasonable here, honestly. Like, I'm not the biggest Edwards fan, but even with that said, like, you can acknowledge what the what the pieces are in his game, that if it all came together, he's very, very talented. There's a reason why he is often considered, you know, one of the top two or three guys in his class. He is very, very talented. The fit with Levine isn't ideal by any means, but there isn't another, like, super obvious pick. I, I like uh, other guys that might be better fits there, like Okoro. I'm a big Okoro fan, but, you know, Best player available is not the worst thing to do here, and I think Anthony Edwards, you could certainly make the case, is the best player available. And I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure that anybody on the Bulls is like so immovable that you can't that you have to draft for fit. I think you almost have to have a player that's like a legitimate superstar number one option to build around to actually start concerning yourself with fit too much. And I know Levine is a good player, but I don't I don't view him that way. Maybe maybe I'm wrong about that, but I don't view him that way as a guy that you have to worry about all that much. So if you think Edwards is the guy, you just take him, even if it's not perfect. Yeah, I, and I think that's how how I feel. I would guess my my co-host Jordan feels the same way as far as Levine and what his ceiling is. We love the fact that he has been a a dutiful soldier, and then some through this rebuild that's gone nowhere. Uh, and he's been nothing but professional with all the ridiculous things that Jim Boylan has done to this team over the last year and a half <laughs> since season control. Uh, but I, I think both of us would agree in that if you're talking about a deep playoff run caliber team, a championship com- contention level team, Zach Levine is good, and I think he can still get a little better than he is now, but he's not going to be the 1A person on that kind of team. And I would say if he's the best player and the best talent the Bulls have right now, then by definition, none of them are untouchable pieces, which is why we I think that that's, you know, another factor into why we decided to go. Hey, you know, Edwards, there are some parts of his game we don't love or or worry about. But as far as swinging for the fences on a young rebuilding team, that's like we're basically going to see what this new front office does and, you know, rebuild 2.0 and see who stays and who goes. Let's try and add the, our greatest chance at, at a legit star caliber player. And as much as we both loved the idea of Coro just fitting right in to that, you know, really uh, versatile wing position that the Bulls need, we felt like, you know, we, we, we may regret passing up on Edwards. Makes sense, honestly. Uh, you know, and Okoro being yeah. a nice runner-up, I think he's a very talented player. But nothing wrong with passing on him at number two overall. Uh, I'm a big Okoro fan, but it's not like he has to go in the, in the top two in in realistic life. Evan, do you have any final thoughts on uh, on the Edwards pick? Uh, no, I I get I get it. I do have my concerns with Anthony Edwards for a little bit. I mean, having gone through the Dion Waiters experience with Cleveland, um, Edwards drawing comparisons to Dion Waiters does raise the red flags in my head a little bit, but there's a reason why he's also the top of most of these draft boards, besides the fact that it's not a very talented draft class to begin with. I mean, there is potential there. It's just if he ends up in the right situation, I think it works out better for him. And maybe Chicago is one of those situations. Like like I said, if you get a good head coach who can finally tap into the potential of what the Chicago roster has, it could work out beautifully in the end. I, I guess the real question is, is Edwards as big of a fan of Vettables as, as Dion Waiters is? Because <laughs> 
sure hope not. <laughs> that might that might be a weighing factor as well. That is a very important yeah. question when you were trying to evaluate these guys. Is uh, are they a, was, a fan? Was as, as Dion. was what was weighing factor a, a, a waiter's pun? Because uh, my my guy Dion ballooned a little bit after he was like, go by Miami too. So it's like it's, it, this it, joke has it was layers. Not I appreciate it was not it. intended to be that way, but but it does work. It worked, <laughs> it, it worked out great. Go. Um, all right, uh, the Cavs are on the clock at number three, and uh, I, can, I do not envy the Cavs any spot in the top three of this draft, and now here we are. Neither do uh, I. Evan, 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 it's up to you, buddy. Well, so there's a little bit of a recent development after Chris and I went back and forth on this pick. So our big board going into this was LaMelo number one, and that's why we were offering Brad. I'm like, listen, we really want LaMelo ball, like scratching my neck, like desperate to hopefully get this pick trade down. And then Kevin Porter Jr. was the offer. And then we immediately walked away because he's the best young player on the Cavs roster. You have and to I'm trade something. Kidding, and listen, just in my, in my listen, defense, you have, to, you have to trade something. A lot and- of guards. I, and yeah, they I, have a young guard in Colin Sexton. <laughs> that's an Atlanta native that could be available. I un- I understand, but uh, in my uh, in my own brief defense here, I think the Hawks, at least if I'm if I'm running them in this theoretical scenario, would have very little interest in either Sexton or Garland just for fit yeah. reasons. Uh, those guys oh, yeah. don't make a lot I, of sense in Atlanta. Um, so if you go back, if you go past those guys, the only Sexton other and prospect, Garland don't make yeah. a lot of sense together to begin with. So I well, get that. That is true. Uh, but if you go. Beyond that, the other options that the Cavs have in terms of assets are picks and Kevin Porter Jr. That's basically it. So that's what I asked for. Uh, that's that's fair. I mean, sh- shrewd go This is an NBA 2K where I can just bully the AI into giving me their best player for a couple second round <laughs> picks. But so after Lamelo was off the board, Chris and I were going back and forth on this. For me personally, my number two was Onyeka and Kongwu, but I had Killian Hayes as a close third. Chris had Killian Hayes third, and I believe um, I don't have my phone in front of me because we were conversing about this briefly. Um, I believe he either had Devin Vassell or somebody else at his third spot. And then we both agreed, like, yeah, no, Hayes is the option. But in a development today, uh, apparently his agent did an interview with a French either radio show or podcast and shared that Killian is refusing to interview with Cleveland. So surprise, surprise, he's being taken against his own will just because we like what he brings to the table and the fact that the Cavs still need help at playmaking. Colin Sexton... It clearly at this point doesn't have the vision to be a playmaker. I know in J.B. Vickerstaff's simplified offense, it's a lot more pick and roll heavy. We're seeing Sexton's assist numbers tick up a little bit, but maybe that's a little bit of fool's gold and just a bit of a dead coach drop. And then Darius Garland, it's we're still kind of not sure what we can get from him at this point. Um, Chris and I would at least give him a grade of did not complete for this season just because we're not 100% sure what we have with him at this point just because of injuries and his recovery from sur- multiple surgeries heading into his rookie campaign and everything. So like it's just a little weird with him. So, I mean, Kevin Love would go insane because it's just flashes of Minnesota drafting three point guards in a row with your top picks. So that would suck for sure. But we like what Killian Hayes brings to the table and the fact that since he is an international prospect and is a lot more raw at 18 years old, he's easier to bring off the bench so you don't have to piss off either Sexton or Garland and benching one of them. But the fact that Hayes is just a solid playmaker and shows potential as a perimeter shooter and just, you know, with his off-ball defense as well and feel for the game. And he reminds me a lot of Manu Ginobili. I mean, I know it's maybe like a little bit of a lazy comparison, but it's just because he's a left-handed shot maker. But Chris and I like what he brings to the table. And then... <sighs> Um, you kind of just figure out what you have at the time. Like if you have to pick between Sexton, Garland and Hayes, you pick the best two and then you try and trade the other one or just try and flip the assets because the Cavs really cannot be too picky for talent at this point. And 
that's just kind of what my stance is. And I think Chris and I are both on the same page in that regard. So that's just kind of where we are at. I, I see your reasoning there. I'm curious. Do you have a gut feeling on where Hayes would maybe measure up against Sexton and Garland after a season or two? Uh, see, that's the thing. If you're asking me as just a pure playmaking point guard, um, Hayes would be easily the number one. Like He'd be the starting one for the Cavs. And then Sexton at this point is more or less transitioned to the two guard in his sophomore campaign, and he's gotten obliterated by bigger two guards because of it because he's still by any advanced metric not a good defensive player. And I personally think he's better suited as a six man than he is as a starting guard for the Cavaliers, but that's taboo amongst Cavs fans for some reason, so I try not to expand on that too much. And then Darius, like I said, he's still kind of like the mystery box. Like I don't know 100% what I'm going to get with him because like he shows flashes of potential, but there's plenty of concerning things that he showed. But then you can justify those concerns by the fact that he only played five games in college, was largely recovering from injuries in training camp because of Bayline's coaching methods, and then just was dealing with nagging injuries throughout his rookie campaign. So, I mean, he's admitted like he, he sucked. Like he's fully said, like I had a bad rookie campaign by every stretch of the means and he's accepting of that and trying to work on it. But no, I just think what Hayes has is a potential just in terms of playmaking, the fact that he can be an offensive initiator and just like the maestro of Cleveland's offense, which isn't something they've really had since even, even with Kyrie, Kyrie was still a score for Scar who had passed second. Um, It'd be something refreshing to have for sure, the fact that they have an actual playmaking guard, and then you just kind of figure out what you have with Sexton and Garland after that, and then somebody's got to get benched, and thankfully that's not my decision. It's just my job to write about it. So, <laughs> I I do like Hayes um, just in a vacuum. I really like him, and uh, you know, drafting him in the top three is totally fine. I, obviously, the fifth stuff in Cleveland is not ideal, but I do think because Hayes is a little bit bigger, and I think I like his defensive potential quite a bit, I think a Hayes-Sexton backcourt actually might work. Um, because it would Hayes be fun. Is little... if... Go ahead. No, I was just saying it would be fun if it, if it, if it works, but yeah. maybe it's the Cleveland, the Cleveland cynic in me is coming out a little bit where I'm just expecting the worst. Oh, no, I, I totally understand. Um, you know, I, I think if you draft Hayes, it probably is not the greatest endorsement of Garland, who you drafted last year. And I understand the jokes will flow if you draft yeah. three straight point guards. So I think we have to kind of ignore that for now. It's probably a practical concern in terms of PR, and maybe if you're trying to save your own job, you don't want to do mm-hmm. that. But at the same no, time, for sure. I think it's uh, totally defensible to draft Hayes in the top. And again, I think he does work with Sexton. You know, I think maybe Garland does not work in that partnership. But you know, in terms of just the pick itself, if you just evaluated Hayes as the best player, going back to what I said about the Bulls, um, there's no one on the Cavs roster that should be dictating fit. And if you have Hayes as the best no. player, you should just take him. No, I agree. And to your point about drafting three point guards three years in a row. Um, one Cavs executive I was talking to about that because they've shared to me that LaMelo ball is firmly on number one on Cleveland's board. And maybe there's a little bit of smoke. They're trying to get teams to trade up for him, whatever. But he compared it to the Cardinals drafting Kyler Murray, where they, the Cardinals, I believe trade did, they did trade up for Josh Rosen the year before. And then they end up taking Kyler Murray first overall. He's like, listen, do you take the best player every time that you think is the best player every time? And then you just figure it out from there. And I think Cleveland is kind of at that point where maybe they, they're, they're flirting with the idea of making the playoffs. And I think they're entering that phase where they're going to be a bad team that tries their best, but they're still not going to win a lot of games. And if you, you don't really draft for fit, like you said, you draft the best available player. And if you believe Killian Hayes is that best player after LaMelo Ball, you go for it every time, in my opinion. And then if you have to trade one of Sexton or Garland, you sell high on their potential and hopefully you recruit some assets that just help your rebuild long term. Uh, 
I like I I don't see any flaws to your reasoning with Hayes, and I I also really like him. I'm curious if you gave any thought and and if it was close between him and maybe one of the bigs that's projected to go, you know, top ten, maybe top five. And if so, which one of those bigs maybe you considered the most? Oh, I would take Onyeka and Kongu every day of the week. Um, I feel like he's the safest player, <clears throat> at least in the top five. Uh, James Wiseman scares me. I think having friends who cover the draft extensively and how are all universally low on James Wiseman across the board just kind of turned me off from him in general, which I understand if like he does if he doesn't work out and I'm wrong, like I'm happy to say I was wrong. Like I wasn't high on Kevin Porter either when the Cavs drafted him and Kevin Porter proved me wrong. I wasn't high on Colin Sexton when the Cavs drafted him and Colin Sexton's proved me wrong every step away. But I pick Okongu just because he reminds me a lot of Bam Adebayo and I feel like that's just a safer comparison and a safer bet that I could take than on someone like James Wiseman. And the I guess the luxury of the situation in Cleveland is Big players, big guys usually take a little bit longer to transition to NBA level ball. Andre Drummond is, by all accounts, he's already said that he's opting into his player option next year. You can bring along one of these big guys a little bit more slowly than you could with a lot of these other lottery teams. So maybe there's not as much pressure to really mess up their potential and growth in general. So, yeah, no, I, I go with Onkongu, long story short. But I just like what he brings to the table more just compared to what Wiseman has. And, yeah, that's just kind of where I'm at. Fair enough. Matt do, Matt, do you agree with that? Just in a, in a, in a vacuum, if you were looking at the bigs, uh, or you, do you have a preface between Wiseman and Kong? I know we're sort of off the off the mock tra- off the mock draft now, but I'm curious. Right. Well, I mean, so in uh, in our mock draft 1.0, the, the Bulls surprise surprise uh, had number seven, um, and we <laughs> we did go with Wiseman there because we felt like it was one of those situations where. You know, there's a reason that this player is projected top three by pretty much everybody. And if they slide, maybe sometimes they slide for a reason. Like, you know, Michael Porter Jr. a couple of years ago sliding all the way down to Denver was because of some pretty alarming medicals that teams got to look at. Yep. With Wiseman, I don't necessarily see a similar reason for him sliding. So when he fell to us at seven, and again, just much like the Cavs are in, as I was talking about, the Bulls are a team that's in a situation where they don't really have a cohesive roster right now that has a lot of chemistry that makes a lot of sense that you would be afraid to you know, mess around with and shake things up. And even though the Bulls have Wendell, they have Lowry Markkinen, they even have what looks to be a solid piece that they stole in the second round of last year's draft, Daniel Gafford, who showed some strong flashes uh, in the back end of this season. So, you know, adding to that crowded front court wasn't ideal for us, but it was like, all right, well, if somebody slides this far... We're going to take him, whereas like, you know, James Wiseman falling all the way to seven is is a little bit more alarming than I think a Kongwu sliding to seven. So as far as which player's skill sets I like more, I understand your your reasoning for preferring uh, Onyeka over Wiseman. Um, I just like Wiseman's size. And, and maybe that's just that's because fair. like the Bulls have a six, nine starting center in Wendell Carter Jr. right now. who <laughs> It's like he's got a lot of great defensive skills. Uh, and he's showing potential. His his basketball IQ is really high. I just got so frustrated watching Wendell just get bodied for the past two seasons. So you're telling me you didn't enjoy Colin Sexton posterizing him? No, not particularly. <laughs> but I tell you <laughs> I what, mean, that's, that's not that's even the, it, that's not even in the top ten of frustrating memories of Wendell getting bodied. So, would you rather Wendell play the four instead of the five? I know he did draw some comps to Al Horford, and I think Al Horford in my opinion, at least, is better playing the four than the five stop. at least early Don't, in his career. Stop it. Stop it. I have to log off the podcast now. That's, I, can't, <laughs> I, can't, I can't do that. 
I can't, I, I I can't, think Bulls I can't fans are curious. Uh, and, and Wendell has expressed himself at times, uh, th- especially this past season, about how he feels more natural at the four than the five and, and kind of his pairing with Bagley at Duke and how that worked. He really has not shown any aggression or, or confidence offensively in his first two huh. years in the league. It's been really, really frustrating to watch given what we all believe to be his potential. The the real tricky thing is then if you if you're still trying to believe in and develop Lowry Markinen, you're asking to flip flop those guys and play Lowry ah, at the five. That's true. And and Lowry has nowhere near the defensive wherewithal, the defensive smarts and the defensive skills that Wendell has. So yeah, Wendell gives up a little bit more size. Because Lowry is like a legit seven feet, but Lowry's pretty much a traffic cone on defense. Yeah, that's not going to work. Um, but and, and I think it's I think it's sort of a common theme with especially young big guys that a lot of them who probably need to play center don't love playing center. That's been a thing that even even with Wiseman, as funny as that is, Wiseman is like you know legit seven feet seven six wingspan guy, and that's often, right. If, if you watch his tape from high school and AAU stuff, he's floating on the perimeter a lot on offense, and it's kind of it's kind of hilarious, honestly, to watch because he's obviously a center in every way. But uh, even a guy like that, who's a pure center, he has these flashes where he th- he, th- he thinks he's like a small four offensively. So it's a theme that's out, that's always out there. I think Carter's very firmly a center, but I'm with you that the the size is not ideal, um, and it, it can be frustrating. As someone who watched Al Horford play for his entire you know, young prime in Atlanta, uh, I, th- I firmly think that Al Horford was a center and was great at center and was an all-star at center, but there are certain matchups yeah. where that's tough. Like There's always going to be a matchup or two if you're playing a 6'9 center that's not going to work, <clears> and that's frustrating to watch. Right, and, and Horford, to his credit, did develop that, that uh, floor-stretching ability, but not until the mid and later stages of his career. And I think Bulls fans have been frustrated for the first two years of Wendell's career where it was like, hey, he shot 40% at Duke. He could be like, you know, a, a floor stretching five slash four combo. It was like, well, yeah, he shot 40% on 40 attempts total uh, and has really not looked to make the three point shot any part of his offensive repertoire so far in the NBA. So, like, maybe he can do that at a later stage of his career the way Al Horford has. But right now, that part of his game is just non-existent. So. Brad, before we wrap this up, because I know we're, we we got to be it's cognizant time. of the locked on. Yeah. Um, so what you're saying is Al Horford was thriving, but you know, then along came Tristan Thompson, and that was his true Achilles heel. Like, I just want, I just want you to be on the record. Like, was Tristan Thompson really that big of a dominator in your eyes over Al Horford? Because that's what it always felt like to Cleveland fans. And I mean, it certainly as we like to joke, well. Tristan Thompson was his dad. So. It certainly did not go well against against Tristan. Uh, not the, that was not the only matchup in which, uh, you know, guys in the glass got out. That was Al's real only, really only weakness was his defensive rebounding was never very good at center. But uh, that was a tough one. Uh, I think we Whereas all know that. Tristan Thompson's only weakness was cell phone videos captured in nightclubs. That's that was that was his real hey, weakness, right? Hey. Hey, that's great. That, not that, that's, not everyone can be perfect. That is not a great spot to perfect. end the podcast. I think uh, <laughs> I, I, we'll, we'll conclude with Tristan Thompson's cell phone discussions. Um, gentlemen, any any final thoughts on uh, how we landed in this mock draft? And obviously, people can go uh, across the network and find the uh, the rest of the mock itself. But this is the top three, so we had the most fun of everybody. But uh, any any final thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, uh, I I let's hope we're not doing this again next season, right? Let's let's all hope that all of our teams made the collective jump to get their collective you know what together and that uh, this is the last time we do one of these for a while. 
I yeah, I feel the same way. I don't think the Cavs will really be in that conversation yet as much as they think they like to be, but I I feel no pity for any team that has to pick in the top three this year because it is tough to justify at times why you're picking this player because there are some serious lumps with the top talent in this draft class and I think Atlanta, Cleveland, and Chicago was like the trifecta of teams who don't really need to be picking in the top three whenever the draft does end up happening. Yeah, there are a few teams, like if the Knicks get the number one pick, it becomes pretty easy, but uh, the rest of them, there's not a whole lot of easy fits at the top, and we'll uh, be, we'll be discussing this for the next uh, few more few more months. We still have to navigate the next several weeks of this, so hold on to your hats, everybody. Well, uh, thanks, guys, for joining me on the podcast. Follow all three of our shows. Subscribe to all of them. If you're not a listener, I guess I kind of understand that, the, the crossover appeal, but uh, leave five-star feedback as well. Uh, follow us all on Twitter uh, individually and our shows, and you'll probably see those tagged on Twitter for this post, et cetera, et cetera, and we'll see everybody next time.